Uh, my heart is, is very full today. Father, I thank you for just the blessing that it is to be with your people, like Shannon put, to be together and see your image expressed in young and old, male and female, and to, to do that all while lifting the name of your son high is, is almost too much to take in at times, and so I just say thank you today, and I just pray that as we continue our service that you would um, continue to point our eyes to Jesus, that you would continue to draw our hearts unto you. I pray that the remainder of this service would be as glorifying to you as the beginning has been. I just ask that you give me uh, the words that you want us to hear today, including myself. I need to hear from you. Thank you for speaking to us already. Trust that you'll continue to do that. In Jesus' name, amen. Sorry, give me a second here. Anybody have any tissues? Well, good morning. Today, we are continuing our second uh, installment of the Missio Dei sermon series that was started last week, uh, where we're learning about God's mission, what he is doing throughout all of history. And my hope, really, I, I want to share this, I'll probably say this multiple times throughout this series, but my hope is that we don't just learn about what God is doing, but that what it does is it creates worship in our hearts for God, that we would grow in our affection for Christ so much so that it leads us to have feet that are ready to go, hands that are ready to serve, and mouths that are ready to tell about who God is and what he has done for us. And so my, my hope and my prayer, I ask you to join me in, in praying this, is that over the next Today, we have today and then eight more weeks, but over these next nine weeks, I just pray that God would reveal so much about himself that we would see him as the all-glorious God that he is, and that what he is wanting to do throughout all of history, including with us, is to create worshipers of everyone, every tribe, every tongue, every nation, and I hope that this is something deep in our hearts that flips our worlds upside down. On August 11th, just a number of weeks ago, actor and comedian Robin Williams breathed his last breath. And one of my favorite Robin Williams movies is The Dead Poets Society, in which Williams plays the role of teacher John Keating, who uh, is at an, unor- he's an unorthodox English teacher at an all- boys prep school, an elite all-boys prep school, and he inspired his students to carpe diem, or seize the day, by teaching them poetry. Anybody who can teach high school boys poetry and get them excited has a gift that I want, (laughs) because that's almost impossible. But in the movie, um, there's there's a a line that one of the students recites as he's kind of growing in his own passion for poetry. He recites this line from Henry David Thoreau. I went to the woods because I wanted to live deliberately. I wanted to live deep and suck all the marrow of life, to put around all that was not life, and not when I had come to die, discovered that I had not lived. 
to live deep and suck all the marrow, and not, when I had come to die, discover that I had not lived. I don't know about you, but those words resonate deeply within me because before I want to die, before I die, I want to live my life as fully as I can. And I, don't, I want to get to the end of my life and discover that I have fully lived. I think most of us, if not all of us, want to live a very full life. But the question is, how can we do that? How can we live a life that is full. Look, at, look with me at 2 Samuel chapter 7, verses 1 through 17. Uh, this book is not as popular, so I'm going to give you the address a little bit in the Bible. So Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges, Ruth, 1st, and then 2 Samuel. So that's where we are. It should be about yay into your Bible. This is the beginning. If somebody has a page number, feel free to share it. Second um, Samuel 7, and as you're finding that, I want to tell you a little bit about what's going on in this story uh, at this point. So in chapter 5 of Second Samuel, we find David being anointed as king. And then in chapter 6, he brings the Ark of the Covenant. He finds that it's you know, out in the middle of nowhere, decides to bring it to Jerusalem. And in chapter 7, we read about God's covenant promises to David. And as we look at these today, they're going to help us find out how we can fully live. And uh, we already prayed, so let's go ahead and stand together and read this text. It's a little long. If you would rather sit, you are more than welcome to do that. But if you will, stand with me and we'll read this. It says this in the beginning, verse 1. Now when King lived in his house, and the Lord had given him rest from all his surrounding enemies, the king said to Nathan the prophet, See now, I dwell in a house of cedar, but the ark of God dwells in a tent. And Nathan said to the king, Go, do all that is in your heart, for the Lord is with you. But that same night, the word of the Lord came to Nathan. Go and tell my servant David, thus says the Lord, Would you build me a house to dwell in? I have not lived in a house since the day I brought up the people of Israel from Egypt to this day. But I have been moving about in a tent for my dwelling. In all places where I have moved, with all the people of Israel, did I speak a word with any of the judges of Israel, whom I commanded to shepherd my people Israel, saying, Why have you not built me a house of cedar? Now therefore, thus you shall say to my servant David, Thus says the Lord of hosts, I took you from the pasture, from following the sheep, that you should be prince over my people Israel. And I have been with you wherever you went, and have cut off all your enemies from before you. And I will make for you a great name, like the name of the great ones of the earth. And I will appoint a place for my people Israel, and I will plant them, so that they may be well in their own place, and be disturbed no more. And violent men shall afflict them no more, as formerly, from the time that I appointed judges over my people Israel. And I will give you rest from all your enemies. Okay, let's breathe for a second. Everybody focus, because this is the part we're going to look at. Moreover, the Lord declares to you that the Lord will make you a house. When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you, who shall come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house from my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. When he commits iniquity, I will discipline him with the rod of men 
with the stripes of the sons of men, but my steadfast love will not depart from him, as I took it from Saul, whom I put away from before you. And your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. In accordance with all these words, and in accordance with all this vision, Nathan spoke to David. You can take a seat. So, last week, we meet Abram. God gives him a bunch of promises about how he's going to give him land, seed, and a blessing. And if you fast forward to 2 Samuel, God is coming true on promise. He's brought his people into the promised land. He has put together a nation. He has crowned David king. And then he comes in this passage and makes some incredible promises to David. But before we get there, what you see in this passage is David, he's in a moment of kind of gratitude and worship and thinking about how backwards it is that he's inhabiting this awesome house made out of the wood and the, the Ark of the Covenant is traveling around in the tent. So he's like, something's not right. I need to build, build a God house. And David tells him to do it, but then God puts the kibosh on it and says, no, 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 no. Thanks, but I never asked you to do that. But you see that David's desire, his heart, was, was something that was pleasing to the Lord. And so God says, listen, he wants to bless me, and I'm going to bless him. And he gives Nathan this message for David, where we find these rich, rich promises. In verses of 9 through 11, God kind of, in essence, reiterates the blessing that he had spoke to, to Abram. He says, listen, David, I'm going to give you a great name. I'm going to give you a place or a piece of land for the nation. And I'm going to bless you. I'm going to protect you. I'm going to give you rest from war. You're not going to have to worry about this anymore. And then, as we look at verses 11 through 16, I believe that there are three key things that David received, uh, three key promises that God made to David. And I want to walk through those and talk about why these are important. First of all, God promised to build David a house with a royal offspring. A house with a royal offspring. Okay, David wanted to construct a literal house, a physical wooden house for God. God's promise here is not that he's going to build him a literal house, but that he will build him a dynasty of kings. Look at the second half of verse 11. And I will give you rest from all your enemies. Moreover, the Lord declares to you that the Lord will make you a house. When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you, who shall come from your body. So he's talking about this lineage of kings, this royal dynasty that he's giving him. And most importantly, God promises David a special, unique descendant, like we just read about. He says, this offspring after you, who shall come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. So what's interesting about this is when he talks about this particular descendant, he says that he will raise him up, which is another way to kind of describe that God's going to call him and set him apart. And so what I want us to see is that just like last week, when we learned that God is the missionary God, and one of the things that God does as the missionary God is he calls us. And then he, we talked about he calls us, he sends us, and he blesses us. Here again, what we're seeing is that God is going to call this royal son 
of David, because God is God who calls. But then we come to the second promise. At the end of verse 12 there, what does he say? And I will establish his kingdom. So God isn't just promising David this royal lineage of kings. He's also promising him a kingdom. Kind of makes sense that if you're going to have a king, you're going to have a kingdom. But God's like, listen, I'm not giving you the package. I'm giving you the full package. And so this kingdom refers to a political body of people, of subjects that will be under the rule of these kings, of this particular king. And then in verse 13, we see the last promise. In verse 13, he says, He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. So, first promise is David, a dynasty. Second, he promises David a kingdom. And then here we see that he promises David a throne. And what that means is that he's giving David's descendant the right to rule forever. The right to rule. So, he will not be like David, who's going to, like, even in the midst of this promise, he says, when you lie down with your fathers, you're going to die, your king, 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 uh, your time king, your rule, your throne will go on somebody else. There's a throne that I'm giving you that will go on forever. It will, it will go on forever. So, God is giving me a house, a kingdom, and a throne. But look at verse 16. It says, And your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. And last week, what was the word that kept popping up all over our Genesis 12 passage? It was blessing, right? We saw the word blessing multiple times. I believe it was five times in like three verses. And these verses, I don't have the count, but we see the word forever. All over the place. And right there, in verse 16, you see forever twice. So, it's really important for us to grasp this, because it's going to be really key in how we, we understand this fleshing itself out. But God is promising David that he is going to have a royal heir that is going to have a kingdom and have a throne within that kingdom that will not end. One from David's line will be an eternal king. Okay, now what is important about this is last week when we saw God come to Abram and give his, his promise and covenant with him about having the land, having seed, and having a blessing, we see that God is, is kind of focusing in on this one man who he's going to build a nation out of. And then, as we talked, so that all people of the earth shall be blessed. We see that it begins here and it spreads out to all the earth. Well, within that nation of Israel, what we see here in this passage is that God is focusing in on particularly David and his line and how they will be the, the line that his blessing comes from specifically. He's showing us that it's specifically tied not just to the nation of Israel, but to the, the royal family of David, particularly one descendant of his and then look at verses 13 and 14 when we need to learn more about this particular descendant. It says, He shall build a house for my name. I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. So not only will this king be tied to David, but this king is going to have a special relationship, a son 
father relationship with God himself. Now, if you're David living 3,000-ish years ago, not having all the information that we have, you don't know exactly how all this is going to play out or what this means, but it's pretty incredible. If you, if, imagine if you got the message that God had chosen you and your descendant that were going to be the ones that he's going to give an eternal kingdom to. That would cause any of us to rejoice, to be excited. Look at David's, David's response. I just, this doesn't even really have anything to do with the rest of the sermon, so I don't know. I just have to say it anyway because I just think it's so awesome and it really, really teaches us something. Then he, David, this is verse 18, went in and sat before the Lord and said, Who am I, O Lord God? And what is my house that you have brought me thus far? Who am I, O God? And what is my house that you have brought me this far? Every single one of us who has a relationship with Christ, this is the exact, appropriate type of attitude and response that we should have for our salvation, for what God has done for us. I love that David doesn't expect any of this. He doesn't think he earned it. He's not entitled. He views it all as completely a gift from the hand of God. And that is exactly the right response for any of us to what God has done in our lives. He doesn't owe you or me even the breath that you just took or the beat of your heart that just pumped blood to your veins so that you could breathe. None of this stuff that we have, nothing is deserved. It's all a gift. I just have to take that little side real quick. But David, David understood these promises. We know that he understood them because he responded this way. But, but the interesting thing is, like I was saying a minute ago, he had no idea how this was going to be fulfilled. No clue. And he didn't live to see it. At least not on the earth. But thankfully, we have the rest of the story. The pages of Scripture reveal to us how God has fulfilled these promises, and really more importantly, who he has fulfilled them in. Turn with me to Luke chapter 1, verse 26. This is, this is the passage that Christine read for us this morning as our New Testament reading. One twenty-six. We'll read down to verse thirty-three. I'll give you just a second. This is Luke one twenty-six. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. It's our first clue. And the virgin's name was Mary, and came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying, and tried to discern what sort of greeting it might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. There will be no end. 
What we see in this passage is that Jesus is the royal offspring of David. Christ is the one who inherits this eternal kingdom that God had promised to establish. Jesus is the one who received this throne that will go on forever. He's the one that will reign forever. He is the fulfillment of all of God's promises to David. In fact, Jesus is the fulfillment of all of God's promises, period. 2 Corinthians 1, 19 and 20, Paul writes this. He says, For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, whom we proclaim among you, Silvanus and Timothy and I, we have to bring Silvanus back. Anybody want to name their kid that? Uh, sorry. I totally lost my track. For the Son of God, whom we proclaim among you, was not yes and no, but in him it is always yes. Catch this. For all the promises of God find their yes in him. All the promises of God find their yes in him. Everything that David and everybody who lived in the Old Testament, everyone who lived before Christ, received all of his prophecy, all of his promise, Jesus fulfills all of that. He's the fulfillment of that. He's the one that they looked for, that they longed for. So, at this point, if you're like me, you kind of push back when you listen and you're actively listening, hopefully, unless you're asleep. Um, you, may be, you may be thinking this. I understand that God made some incredible promises to David. You've explained that? Okay. Got it. Got it. Now, I understand how Jesus fulfills those. I understand he's the, the, the promised heir of the throne. But what in the world does this have to do with me? And how I can live a full life. Okay. I'm tracking, but where are you going? Well, in John 10 and 10, Jesus says this. He says, I came that they may have life and have it to the full. Or if you read it in the ESV, he says, have it abundantly. So, if fullness of life is found in Jesus and Jesus alone, and he wants us to experience that, okay, that, that, that's true. But that means that we have to respond to Jesus as he is if we want to experience fullness. We don't get to pick and choose. It's not choose your own adventure and I go in down to the grocery store and, and pick out off the shelf, this is the Jesus I like. We have to respond to the Jesus that is presented to us in the text. And the Jesus that is presented to us in the text is the royal eternal king. Okay? So... Fullness of life is found in Christ, and Christ is king. And fullness of life is found in submitting to Christ as king. We don't get to just treat him like a buddy or just somebody that we consult whenever we have a problem. If he's king and fullness of life is found in him, everything in our life falls under his person and his work and the gift that he gives us in salvation. And so what does that look like, though? If fullness of life is found in Christ, and Christ is king, I want to give you three things that I believe are key to experiencing full, a full life. First of all, we have to respond to the reality that Jesus reigns forever, that he is king, by submitting to Jesus. Respond to this reality by submitting to Jesus. We can only experience the fullness of life by submitting to him, to his rule and reign. In Old, in the Old Testament reading that, that Josiah read for us today in Psalm 2, in verses 10 and 12, we are told 
to kiss the Son, lest he be angry and you perish in the way. It's not real, like, warm and fuzzy. You're not going to put that on a coffee cup, right? But it's there. And the reason is, Jesus is worthy of being kissed. He's worthy of being worshipped. And God has every right to let those perish who don't bow the knee to Jesus because he is the real king. This isn't some imaginary fairy tale. He will spend forever reigning. And people who will not accept that don't deserve to be in the kingdom. They deserve to be outside of it. That's not a good thing, and God doesn't want that. But what that means for us is that fullness of life is absolutely only found in submitting to Christ as king. So Jesus is worthy of our submission. We can only fully live by responding to him as a king. The second thing, if we want to experience this fullness of life, I believe, is that we also have to, after personally responding to Christ, secondly, demonstrating this reality that Jesus reigns forever. So it starts by responding to it with submission. Secondly, demonstrating this reality. And what this means is that our lives, your life, my life, is meant to be a living, breathing picture of Jesus' work. Everything that I am, everything that you are, everything that we do, God's purpose for it is to make Jesus look good. Because Jesus is good, and he is worthy of that. He's worthy of all of that. So how do we do that? I'll give you a couple of things. First of all, I believe that we begin by worshiping Jesus exclusively. If we want to demonstrate that Jesus reigns forever, then we worship only Jesus. And so what that means is that he will occupy the highest place in our hearts. That our greatest affection, the thing that means more to us than anything else in life, will be Christ. That's how we demonstrate that he reigns. In our lives, we show that. One of my favorite verses, I don't really have a life verse. I don't have a tattoo. If I did, maybe I'd put this one on there. But uh, when I was a sophomore in high school, I came across this verse, and it says in, in Jeremiah 29 13, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. All your heart. That is what makes much of Christ. When our entire life, beginning with the core of who we are, is completely molded, shaped, ordered around Christ. That's key. Secondly, I think another way that we demonstrate that Jesus reigns forever is that we obey Jesus completely. We worship him exclusively and we obey him completely. Now, this is the biggest way I know to be able to at least assess where you are. You know, sometimes as, as believers even, we come to places where we doubt whether we truly believe. If you haven't been there, maybe you will be there. If you never do, you know, that's awesome. But what I have found is that most Christians go through seasons where they wonder, is this really, is this really true? It's really, maybe right now you're like, why is he saying this? But that is a part of life. And what I've been able to really find helpful is that if there is any desire in you or any desire in me to obey Jesus, that is coming from a heart that has been transformed. We don't look for perfect obedience, although God is certainly worthy of that, and that is what he longs for us. But in our hearts... And in our lives, we should see some inkling 
of a desire to obey Christ. And one of the ways that we demonstrate the reality that Jesus reigns forever is by obeying him completely. And I don't mean that you never struggle and that you never fall. Certainly as a song that Daniel just sung about, like, we can all resonate with the fact that it's like, man, I rarely get this right. But in our hearts and in our lives, there's this, at least this part that says, I want to obey. I want to obey. I want to follow Christ. I want to submit my life to him. When we bow the knee to him rather than into the world, when we turn over our will to God instead of obeying our fleshly, selfish, sinful desires, that makes much of Jesus. And the world around us does not have a category for that. And that's how we demonstrate, another way that we demonstrate that Jesus reigns forever. I want to give you one more, and then we'll wrap up. The last thing I believe that we can do, and I think this one is really important too, is that if we want to fully live, we will alert people to the reality that Jesus reigns forever. We will alert people to the reality that Jesus reigns forever. Now catch this. Just, I mean, this is, this is simple, but I think for most of us, our lives, there's such a disconnect from these truths. If Jesus is king, the only king, and eternity is centered around him and his rule and his reign. What in the world are we doing thinking that it doesn't really matter if the people that we know and that we live around have any relationship with him? I mean, if that is absolutely true and we believe that, how can we stay silent and stay still and just kind of go about our lives doing our thing? Now, I'm not saying you have to become a street preacher. I'm not saying that you need to, you know, body wrap your car in John 3.16. If you want to do that, awesome. But what I am saying is that if this is true, this is fundamentally going to change the fabric of who we are and what we do. Because everybody around us is created with an eternal soul, and if they do not bow the knee to Jesus, they will spend eternity apart from God. They will miss out on all of the blessings that God promised David, that he fulfilled in Christ, that you and I who have bowed the knee to Jesus, who have, by God's grace, received forgiveness and mercy, they will miss it all. And yes, they stand before the Lord on their own, but what we know is that God has given us the incredible privilege. We talked about this last week. We are called, we are sent, and we are blessed by God so that all people may come to know and worship Him. That's why we are on this earth. We're not here to rack up some toys and accolades. We're not here to just have kids and enjoy them. All of that stuff is great. That's fine. But it is not why we are here. We are here to worship God and to alert people to the fact that Christ is King so that they might come to worship Him as well. We talked earlier, and, and I just mentioned in the song too, how you know we read the part where it says you have to commit, com- kiss the sun, or you will perish in the way. But I want to be really clear about that's not God's desire. And this is why we know this is really fuel for me. You know, obviously Christ is worthy of worship. That's the biggest thing. But one of the other things that's really key in understanding and it's all to alert people to this reality is that in the end of that same psalm, in verse 12, 
What does it say? I love this verse. This phrase. It says, Blessed are all who take refuge in him. If you read the New Testament, I don't know the address, I want to say it's in Peter. It says that God desires for all to come to repentance. He desires for all to know and worship him. The offer to be blessed and to fall under the, the, the gifts and the, the divine promises that are fulfilled in Christ is available to people all across the world. As a church, we partner with somewhere in the realm of like 12 different families who are all over the globe doing this, sharing the truth of Christ. And if they were here today, and if you come in the summer especially, they, they usually pop in and share stories. We have stories and examples of people from every tribe, tongue, nation that are coming to know God. They are responding to the gospel because it's blessed are all who take refuge in him. But here's the thing. For now, God hasn't ordained that you live in, in Southeast Asia. And he hasn't ordained that I live in South America. He's, he's ordained that you live in East Dallas or Oak Cliff or wherever it is that you live here in this area. And God has ordained that your neighbors and my neighbors and our coworkers and the ones that we rub shoulders with, he's ordained that proximity so that those people might be blessed and take refuge in Christ. The call on your life and mine is to alert people to the reality that Christ is key. We don't need to beat them with a Bible. We just need to love them and share the truth that this is ultimately what all of life is about. So today we've talked about God promising David this incredible house, this incredible kingdom, this incredible throne. I pointed out to you from Luke that Jesus is the one who fulfills and inherits all of these promises and passes of his blessing on to all of us that have trusted in him. The thing we can walk away with, and this is, this is what I hope, if anything, you leave, is that because Jesus is the eternal king, the full life that you were created with a desire to have, and that you sit in your seat today, breathing and thinking about longing for, is found only in ordering your life around the reality that Christ is king. Not treating him as a buddy, not treating him as just a confidant, but king of your heart, of your life. Will you respond to the reality that Jesus reigns by submitting in Christ? Will you demonstrate the reality that he reigns by worshiping him exclusively and obeying him completely? And finally, will you alert people to the reality that Jesus reigns forever.